Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. That's a wrap for this Hello, episode everyone. of this the Candida Chronicles. With another episode of the Candida Chronicles. Today we have a very interesting topic. Uh, today we're going to be discussing the relationship between ketones and Candida. Now, the very first thing that I want to talk a little bit about for those of you who are not familiar with the subject, is what ketones exactly are. Well, to try to keep this as simple as possible, ketones are a form of an alcohol which are produced as a byproduct of your body being in the state of ketosis. When the body's in the state of ketosis, the body is not being provided enough sugar, and carbohydrates as food energy from your diet. The body then has to reach into your fat storages to produce energy. So it starts to break down and live off your body fat. People who are, who are fasting for periods of time undoubtedly will be in ketosis. People who are stranded on islands who are on these reality shows where they have to, uh, you know, run, run about naked and whatnot and try to hunt for food. These people go into ketosis. Anyone who does the Atkins diet or any type of really low-carbohydrate diet, generally where your carbs are below 30 grams a day, goes into ketosis for the expressed reason of burning your own body fat. The ketogenic diets become very popular in cases where women have breast calcifications, which could potentially be involved in breast cancer. And as I said before, the most famous application probably of the ketogenic diet is the Atkins diet for weight loss. When the body goes into ketosis and produces these ketone bodies, they are produced as a byproduct or a side effect of the breakdown of your own body fat and the utilization of your fat for energy. These ketones that are produced are in ways chemically similar to alcohols and sugars. Uh, for years, it was the goal, let's say, of many people who were on ketogenic diets to be losing weight from these ketogenic diets. And that's uh, not a bad thing. Somewhere along the line, somebody got the idea that since this is a, such a low-carbohydrate 
uh, endeavor that one would probably do really well on a ketogenic diet if you had candida because you would have so few key, uh, carbs and sugars that you would starve the candida and the candida would die. This makes sense. This is so far pretty logical. The problem is that what's been discovered in the last few years is that candida can or has become adaptive and now is able to actually feed on these ketone bodies that are produced and use that as a source of fuel. Therefore, a very strict, low-carbohydrate diet, strict enough to cause a person to go into ketosis, is a diet which could aggravate candida. How somebody knows whether or not they're in ketosis is typically by going to the drugstore and buying a little uh, package of test strips which you urinate on in the morning typically and when you urinate on these strips if they turn purple which is what most of them are will do it means that you're in ketosis and the darker the purple the heavier into the state of ketosis you're in so any of you out there right now that are doing a low carbohydrate diet for the purpose of trying to control their candida it is a good idea for you to get a ketone uh, test strip pack and check your urine in the morning to make sure you're not in ketosis. It seems, based on the literature currently, that being in ketosis may be worse than consuming carbohydrates as far as how it affects the candida. It is sometimes very obvious that someone is in ketosis when they're on a candida diet and they're losing weight rapidly or at, a, or at a pretty good clip. And in particular, their breath may smell like grass or, or somewhat sweet. That could be an indication physically of being in, can, uh, in ketosis. But using the strips is a very good idea. So I highly recommend that one does that. Uh, over the last few years... There has been various research into the state of ketosis or the effects of ketones on candida and on people who have candida. A lot of this has been done on diabetic people because diabetics often enter into a state of ketosis. And quite a few research papers published in PubMed show uh, the effects of this diet on the candida. One showed that neutrophils, which are a major white blood cell, will be less able to kill candida when ketones were present. Another one assessed candidiasis in patients with diabetes who were actively in ketoacidosis. There was a paper um, which went over obese people developing candida infections while fasting. Now that's interesting. So if an, a, an obese person who goes on a fast goes into ketosis may then actually develop a candida overgrowth as a result of the candida being pump-fed the ketones that are being produced. That's pretty, that is very interesting. That Right there that could make somebody rethink 
quite a lot of their strategies with diet and candida. Another study, also in PubMed, found that there are virulent strains of candida which may make and release pyruvates. Now, pyruvates are chemicals that the body makes that are part of the energy cycle. And there are a lot of nutritional supplements out there which uh, are involved in helping the body make more pyruvate as a way of enhancing athletic performance and weight loss. Uh, but it's been found that when the body turns these cells into excess amount of pyruvate, ketones are formed, which then apparently benefit the candida. So that's definitely not a good thing. Another study was done where they drew blood from fasting patients, and they found that the general immune response when in ketosis was weaker against candida than in someone who was not in ketosis. So generally speaking, there is significant research in PubMed, which is a, usually a good source, that tells us ketosis is not a good condition or a good state for somebody who is with candida overgrowth as it easily could worsen it. Probably the ideal amount of carbohydrates for the person on the candida diet is somewhere between 50 grams to 100. We've allowed people to go as low as 40 grams of, of carbs. When you're at 40 grams of carbs, you're probably just right on the fence in terms of having candida. So we would like to have our candida patients somewhere between 50 grams and 100 grams of carbs. Uh, this is the ideal area. If you go too high, then you will feed the candida. If you go too low, you may end up in ketosis. Um, it, it is definitely a paradox for someone to think with being on a low carbohydrate diet, especially one that low, and actually having it make the candida worse. So this is why I say that the ideal level is between 50 to 100 grams this gives you enough room. And uh, I think that the person physically will feel better also having that little bit more of the carbohydrate there. Once you start going too low, there can be a lot of issues with mental fog. So keep that in mind. And also the type of carbohydrate that you're eating does have an effect. The carbohydrates that you consume when you're on the candida diet should be what are typically referred to as low glycemic 
carbs. These are carbohydrates, which um, have the, a, a weakened ability, let's say, to raise your insulin levels and therefore cause fat storage. This doesn't particularly have anything to do with candida directly, but it is as a side note that when you choose carbohydrates, it is best to choose the type of carbohydrates which have a low insulin response or a low glycemic rating because the higher the glycemic response to the food, the more likely it is to be absorbed by candida as a fuel because the what's happening with a higher glycemic carbohydrate is it's raising your blood sugar sharply and quickly and it's, ra it's, it's causing it to go too high. And at that point, very easily, the candida can be inundated with the sugar and be using it as a fuel. The less spikes in blood sugar that we have and the less insulin response that we have, the better off we are with controlling the candida. There have been rumors uh, from time to time on different websites that the real problem with candida is not carbohydrate or sugar, but actually fat. Now, I've, I've uh, listened to some of the videos on YouTube by the people who purport this. And uh, all I can say to you out there in the audience is that when I look statistically at the amount of people that I have treated over the years, and when I look and listen to the type of food that they eat and they report they have eaten, which has flared up their candida symptoms, when I compare this to when these people are in a flare-up, what do their urine tests look like? I'd have to tell you that I don't see that there's any truth and it, it's uh, remarkable to me that people could be reporting this type of data. I have absolutely no evidence whatsoever that what they're reporting is true. I don't have any evidence from an empirical standpoint, from an academic standpoint, and uh, from a good old street observation standpoint. So I'm not quite sure what it is that they're, they're seeing. Um, I have not had any patients come to me, which people often do, and tell me that they tried this method and it actually worked for them. I have not encountered that. I have encountered people who've come to me and told me that at some point they did some type of a, a master cleanse or a, a fast of some kind and they had symptoms that they were attributing to candida improve or be alleviated, but I've never had anyone come to me and say that they went on a low-fat diet and particularly handled their candida. There's another branch out there which claims that fructose, or a diet high in fructose, eliminates candida. Um, I've never seen that as well being consistently true. I've definitely seen and have had patients report that when they at times overdid the intake of fruit, their candida got worse. Um, I can say as a general rule that on our candida diets, we generally don't allow any fruits other than berries, Granny Smith apples, and perhaps cantaloupe, 
uh, because the types of sugars that are in those fruits seem to be less aggravating to the candida, and they certainly are a very low glycemic index. And I have rarely had any patients that were so sensitive to the these sugars that they reported a worsening of their candida when they consume those particular fruits. I have certainly have had numerous patients who reported a worsening in their candida when they generally overate fruits in general. Um, it's rare that we've had patients report a worsening in their candida when they consume these fruits that we just discussed, the berries, the Granny Smith, the cantaloupe. Many of those people have blood sugar problems or have other problems going on that complicate their cases. But in, in what I would say your standard candida case would be, uh, this would not be something that we had ever encountered. So I would say, to reiterate this, that potentially the candida diet, which becomes too strict, which becomes so low in sugar and carbs that it actually will cause ketosis could be worse than the diet where the person goes about eating a lot of the standard foods that are high in sugar and whatnot that we know would be avoided on a candida diet. I think that the actual impact of this is something that we still have to study. And I think that we may find that it's uh, very dependent on the individual person. I don't draw any, cons any uh, consistent rule right now. Um, most of the doctors out there who are aware of this situation with ketones are still advocating a low-carbohydrate diet, but they're saying to avoid very low-carb diets. They are still uh, advocating a limitation in sugar, or avoiding sugar, limiting the fruit that you eat. But as another caveat, they are saying to avoid very low-carbohydrate diets. So again, this brings us back to, as we said before, the carbohydrates between 50 to 100 grams as being the ideal amount. You have the carbohydrates there are low enough not to feed the candida, but yet they're not low enough to cause the ketosis to be triggered. You can think of ketosis as being a, another method of feeding the candida, which gets kicked in by your body when your carbohydrates go too low. Um, if, you, with, if you think about this for a second like a, a gauge, if your carbohydrates are too high, it feeds the candida. If the carbohydrates go too low, your body has this other mechanism that kicks in and starts producing its own internal fuel to feed the candida. So the carbohydrates have to kind of be in the middle of, the, of these points. And that's why, again, I repeat, 50 to 100 grams is the ideal level. Below 50, you start to produce ketones that feed the candida, and above 100, you're feeding the candida directly through your diet with the sugars and the carbs within. 
it's a very interesting viewpoint because no one had ever really thought about this before. As a matter of fact, uh, many years ago, uh, an ideal situation was thought to have the person in ketosis as a way of getting rid of candida. And remarkably enough, it didn't work on everyone. Now we know why. In fact, now we can actually understand how it worsened some cases where theoretically that wouldn't make any sense for that to be. I remember there was a doctor who was in Manhattan. It wasn't too far from where I had been practicing at that point on Prince Street. It was a very nice man. Um, and we somewhat were in the same circles of the, all the, the Manhattan alternative doctors like Dr. Hoffman and Atkins and Dr. Utsis and Toplitsky, that whole crew. And this fellow's candida treatment, I thought was actually very aggressive. His uh, entire candida treatment was based on having the person on a fast of hydrogen peroxide food grade. Which uh, is certainly interesting, theoretically, that you would have the person fasting now, when a person is fasting, we do know from all the data that exists on fasting that there is a sort of um, a self-digesting process that occurs. I forgot, it, I forgot at this moment that there are more chemical, chemical terms for this that describe it more precisely <clears throat> to someone who was a physiologist. But essentially, when, you go, when you're doing a fast, your body gets into a mechanism where it starts to digest... Bad, bad cells in the system which are not in the ideal shape or which potentially are toxic. The body digests those for food or fuel first before it starts to break down your healthier cells. And his concept in having these people fast was that if the person went on a fast and the person started to actually digest all the unhealthy cells in their body, the candida should be part of that population of unhealthy cells. And when they, you then add the hydrogen peroxide to that, you would have a pretty devastating one-two punch to knock the candida out. Theoretically, I can agree with that. That does make sense. But I do have to say now that this additional data on the ketone bodies being formed and being consumed by the candida when you're fasting would alter my opinion of that method. If the hydrogen peroxide that was being taken would circumvent the candida being able to flourish from its exposure to the ketones, that, that would be another story. There is no research on that at this time that I'm aware of. But that could be something that would circumvent this. That's the, that is something that I would believe as being theoretically possible. That if we had a person on a fast, if they were producing ketone bodies, but at the same time they were consuming a substance like food-grade hydrogen peroxide that had the ability to destroy the candida with, with such a, 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 a very uh, harmful blow to it, I could believe that that might be more effective. But as I said, that's not something that we know. No one's done that. There's no data on that. So... This gives us a chance for a second to rethink the candida diet. 
we've all known that carbohydrates and sugars are bad for candida. They feed candida. We know that women with yeast infections, if they eat too many carbs, it makes the yeast infection worse. The effect of sugar and, and starch and maltose, particularly found in beer, its effect on candida is pretty well known. We definitely know that these sugars make candida worse. It's intuitive to then think that a lack of carbohydrates and sugars starving the candida, which has been always advocated, would then tend to make the condition better. But enter in this new observation that candida has either itself adapted to these very low-carb diets or has adapted to consuming ketones. And here you have a complete change in the game plan. Because if it is true that, and it just certainly appears to be, if it, it is true that candida can feed on ketone bodies and candida does grow and flourish in, the, in this condition where you're in ketosis, this warns us that a diet too low in carbohydrates could make a person worse and it could be just as bad as a diet which is too high in carbohydrates. An analogy to this, or a, let's say a reciprocal datum, I guess we could say, uh, a datum of equal magnitude, is within the concept of uh, diet and weight loss. As most of us know, most personal trainers out there have adopted over these last 10 years the concept of the small meals, or we call it the six small meal a day concept. Um, it's been found that for weight loss purposes, eating small meals frequently tends to be the maximum and the ideal consumption of food to stimulate fat burning. Why this works and why this has been, been adopted as a stable datum amongst trainers is because it's been found that when you eat small meals, the small meal doesn't trip your insulin response. You, you never eat quite so much as to cause insulin to be released and then the food you're eating stored is fat. And also the frequent meals tend to raise your body temperature and your metabolism, which aids in your body losing fat, building muscle, etc. It's, it uh, is, is common sense. It's not so intuitive from the viewpoint that people observe you eating six times a day, and how does that equate with losing weight? Because from old-time thinking and old standards, most people equate with eating less with losing weight, not necessarily eating more frequently. But there is a comparison, the concept here, because here we have where eating small amounts frequently may optimize fat burning, we have now the concept that too little a carbohydrate would enhance candida, and there is a middle ground. And that middle ground, again, being 50 to 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, spread out throughout the day, 
and let's spread it out among six meals. This would then, this is now an expansion of the con of both concepts together. If we have a person on the candida diet, and we're going to feed him 50 to 100 grams of carbs a day, let's spread that out over six meals. Because at that point, we're pretty much guaranteed never to have a rise in insulin that will either feed the candida or trip the body fat storing mechanism. And we're pretty much guaranteed that if we keep the carbs equal at this point, or, or I should say if we keep the carbs even, evenly spread throughout the day, the person certainly will not go into ketosis. So those are some definitely key datums right there for us to think with in the future. I think the question a lot of us in the field have, is this something that had been going on for quite some time? Or is this something which we can say the occurrence is more recent? And um, I've, there is no data on that at this point. I, what we do know is that current research shows that particularly in diabetics and in obese people, the state of ketosis will aggravate candida. We know that candida now can feed on ketone bodies. Do we probably, my guess is we may know this now because it's been studied. 20 years ago, there was no mention or no uh, thought of this <clears throat> because the concept of candida has become more accepted and known in the last 20 years, research is now willing to take a look at these things. It might have been this way uh, for, for hundreds of years and no one ever knew it because it was never studied. We don't know that. That is a question we don't know. It's an interesting topic and it's not needed for us to know that because what we do know is that's the situation now. That's what we have to work with now and that is how we have to adjust our treatments now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to bring the end of this broadcast, and we hope you enjoyed the information. Um, as a reminder, the book, The Candida Chronicles, is now at the printer. So we're expecting to get copies of the book, and the book will be on Amazon.com for you to purchase, hopefully within the next six weeks. We will keep you abreast of that. And we will be back on the air again next Friday with another show of the Candida Chronicles. The topic of the show next Friday is actually going to be on Monsanto. We're going to be discussing the effects of Monsanto's chemical, let's say, uh, for lack of a better term, effects on this planet and on particular health issues. And we're gonna be looking at how genetically modified food and other chemicals that Monsanto has created affect candidiasis. So please stay tuned and uh, listen to that show because that is some pretty vital information that's affecting everybody, even people who don't even know they have candida. Again, this is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist. I wish you well. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a Doctorate of Nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. 
He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.